your elite may jump ship and go somewhere else the next year. And, you know, when they're only going to bring three horses because they're bringing one for the maiden, one to ride around, one for the limited horse, you know, so to speak. Whereas those barns of beginners and novices and everything, they're the ones that are going to buy out 10 stalls, 15 stalls, 12 stalls, all that kind of stuff. The things that at the end of the day, when and if we don't ever have the support of those top one percenters, we can still sustain a horse show. on the rail at a jog please on the rail at a jog hello everyone we're back with another episode of on the rail podcast i'm super excited with today's guest we get to talk about one of the horse shows that i've always wanted to attend to go visit and just see so without further ado i'll let her introduce herself and then we will go from there so hi, everyone. My name is Megan Tierney. I'm the owner of MT Company Quarter Horses located in Reddick, Florida. And I'm also the manager and co-founder of the Spring Breakout and the Virginia Maiden Fraternity Program held in Lexington, Virginia at the Virginia Horse Center every year, previously held in March. And now we're very excited that we are in April this year. So explain to me how you one ended up in Florida from wherever you were from, and then how being in Florida, you still run the show or program, have in, you know involvement there, being in Florida and not in Virginia. So kind of what's your journey been like for all of this to come together to where you are now? For sure. Well, I guess to make it short and sweet, the reason why I ended up in Florida is because, you know, I met some random guy and I don't know, ended <laughs> up liking him and sticking around. So... <laughs> You know, and and it kind of seemed like that's generally where the industry tended to be moving at the time. And, you know, it turns out that we're right because I feel like I blink and every other day someone else moves here. And so, yeah, it just seemed like the natural kind of progression to go in regards to how it's affected my work with show management and prep and event planning in general. I've always worked remotely. Previously, I was in Texas, and then before that, Ohio, and when I was in college, you know, so I've kind of bounced around a bunch over the years, and that kind of stuff has always been remote. So really, I can kind of put on or at least, you know, do all the prep work for a show remotely, and then obviously, I just fly out a couple of days prior to the start of the show, and, you know, the fun begins. (laughs) So when did you officially move to Florida? Then July of 2022, we bought this place. Yeah. So we've been here for roughly about a year and a half, almost two years going on. And do you love it? (laughs) I do. I do. I love, I love the weather. I love the warmth. The horses love it. Hate the cost of living and the price tag of living in horse country. You know, that obviously I'm going to always complain and moan about. But other than that, love being near by friends. And I will say if one thing living in this area has taught me is that the horse industry in general is not struggling whatsoever. So if any of our associations are having a hard time, we need to look inwards because that is something that has been blatantly proven to me over and over again, just having hits nearby and the horse park and of course WEC and 
you know, all the facilities nearby and all the shows and everything. Mm, that's an interesting take. Mm-hmm. Something to be obviously further explored. But for all of us non-Florida people, so in relation to Orlando or Ocala, where is Reddick at? Reddick is just north of Ocala. So a lot of people that are live, you know, in the quote unquote Ocala area, they actually have Reddick addresses. Mm, um, okay. You know, like the Roberts Farm is in Reddick. And I want to I'm like five minutes from Tally Terlizzi's place and John Harms's farm mm-hmm. and all them. But I'm probably about 15, 20 minutes from WEC. So we're pretty much right there, a hop, skip, and a jump. Right there. Gotcha. So were you involved in doing show planning or show management? Has that been your main, like, kind of adulting life? (laughs) Yeah. So let me, I'll tell you, it's actually kind of a funny story. I never once thought that I'd end up being a show manager or even working remotely in any kind of show, you know, staff position. I believe I was 19 and I was still braiding full time. And we were at the Congress. And I want to say it was the year that the Little Futurity was finished. And so that was done. And then what was previously the Hilton Maiden obviously got dissolved. And then all of a sudden, that area of the country really didn't have a major circuit, a major Futurity, something for these guys to go for, you know, something to showcase the East Coast. So I believe it was Paul Thurston and Carl Yamber. We're sitting in Carl and Trisha's aisle at the Congress at the time. And Cameron Van Sickle and I were braiding in their aisle for Trish. And it, it was forced upon us. <laughs> you know, they kind of went and laid, looked at Cameron and said, hey, you know, this is gone and this is gone and we want to keep a maiden. We need to keep it going. And I think you're going to do it. And Cameron's like, I don't really want to. And they were like, mm, that doesn't really, you know, concern us. And you're going to, and if you can't do it, I'd suggest you find someone that can help you do it. And he immediately turned to me and looked at me across the aisleway and I was up on a stool. And I mean, I looked at him and I just started shaking my head. I'm like, don't. (laughs) And he said, he was like, Megan will do it. And I'm like, oh, I guess Megan will do it. And so that's kind of the start of it. And I remember even having the conversation with him right then and there. And I'm like, neither one of us has ever even worked a horse show, let alone plan something, put it together, you know, worked with sponsorships, any of that. And they kind of just looked at us and said, "Mm, too bad, so sad. You know, you'll figure it out. And, you know, and and we did. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a lot of trial and error because we were going into it totally blind with no experience. And like I said, I think I was 19 and that would have made Cameron 20 or 21. So, I mean, we were just kind of fresh-faced kids and all we were were braiders at the time. You know, and I was showing still a lot, but yeah, it was kind of thrown into our laps and we just figured it out. And I remember that first year we only had the maiden pleasure. We just had the one class and I believe we had nine entries. I think it was small and it was a $30,000 purse. And I want to say one of the largest sponsorships we got was about $250. You know, Mm -hmm. I think we mainly built that $30,000 purse, $50 at a time, because, you know, we had to kind of come back from trust issues with the program and the horse show over the years. And so we had to kind of combat that. And, you know, no one knew who the hell we were and what the hell we were doing. So why would anyone trust us with more than that amount of money, I guess, is kind of how it figured. And it's funny, I got to find them. I still have the first two years of calculations for the results 
for the maiden. And we didn't have any kind of computer programs or anything. So I did all the calculations for the futurity classes by hand on uh, like (laughs) pencil and paper notepad. And I still have them somewhere in my book and I got to pull them out. I should probably frame them. It's just kind of funny to see, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, where we started from being just totally ignorant, blind, you know, going on on blind faith kind of kids. And, you know, starting out with a horse show that was really small and dying or almost dead. And before you know it, it just kept exploding year after year. You know, I don't think we did everything right, but we obviously did something. Well, that story completely connects the dots for me on all of this because I knew Cameron did it with you and I knew he was up in the Virginia area, but I wasn't sure how you guys got to be partnered on it and why you even took it over or recreated. I don't know what you want to call it there, but yeah. Cameron is still the co-manager of the Futurity program. So he and I still do that together. And last year was my first year managing the entire horse show as a whole. So that's like all seven different shows that we put on at the same time concurrently between all the ranch stuff and the derbies Mm -hmm. and Virginia residents and all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't even supposed to be, but the manager that we had originally hired for last year came down with COVID about a week before and got the call. And it was like, well, I think you're kind of our only option. So I said, okay. So I ended up taking it on and worked out well, and I'm going to do it again this year. And yeah. And I mean, I guess how I got involved with top line management was through the Virginia Maiden, really. And when COVID year happened, and we ended up getting canceled three separate times, and we ended up moving to Raleigh, because in North Carolina, we were able to host an outdoor event at the time. And it was in June, I want to say it was probably the first major horse show that we were allowed to go to during COVID. So everyone's obviously Mm -hmm. really excited. Everyone came. And it was during the Tar Heel horse show there in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And Kathy Abel manages that. And at the time, I don't remember where she was, but Christian was there as her show manager. And that was the kind of the first time I've known Christian just growing up in Jersey since I was a kid. That was the first time we'd worked together. And we ended up realizing within that weekend that we worked very well together and we got along great in a work environment. And when he started thinking about going out, and out on his own, he inquired and asked and he said, you know, that first year or two, if I'm double booked on on a weekend, I really can't, you know, you're not really in a position to be picky and choosy. So he asked me if I would, you know, be willing to kind of come on and be the backup manager I want to call. I don't want to call it backup manager, but I guess I go wherever Christian can't. The overflow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Basically, I'm the the other manager. Yeah. um, For top, I'm one of the few. Yeah, that's kind of how I got wrapped up in it. And we got Christian Topline's been doing the Virginia show. This is the second year we're doing it. And we're really excited. Okay. So that also answers. I had a question of if you oversaw the Virginia Maiden is the futurity part, but the horse show itself is the spring breakout. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know if you managed both of those, but you do now. Sounds like. Yeah. Last year was my first year managing everything as a whole. And prior to that, it was just Cameron and I doing the futurity side of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and shout out to Suzanne Gonzalez, who is the founder and owner of the Spring Breakout Horse Show. You know, she truly has been like such a rock for us. You know, who else is going to take the chance and go, sure, I'll trust these kids to come in and, and go, hey, we want to do this. And her to just go, okay, you know, <laughs> very, very, very few people are going to do that and kind of just trust us along the way. And she's always been so supportive and 
you know, everything we owe is because of our host. And and so that shout out to Suzanne. How long have you been doing the fraternity part at least now? How many years? Six, seven years now. Okay. Six years? Yeah. Since the beginning of the Virginia Maiden. When because the Hilton Maiden, as it previously was the Hilton Maiden, mm-hmm. I want to say it took several years off before we started it back up again. I want to say it was two years, one or two years that it didn't go on. Don't quote me on that, though. As I get older, and then especially when you throw away in COVID year, I was like, I have no concept of time, of number of years. <laughs> it's so hard to remember. Because I remember when the Hilton Maiden was going, and it doesn't seem like it was that long ago now, <laughs> but obviously was longer than I think. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's such a source of pride of, of Cameron and ours to be able to kind of keep that legacy alive. You know, I mean, Cecilia was owed nothing less than a wonderful tribute to her to keep her memory alive. You know, and it was the first ever mating class. You know, they had never done that before. And she wanted to advocate for horses that weren't ready for the two-year-old pleasure and Mm -hmm. possibly needed some more time. And it was wildly successful. I mean, I remember growing up and looking up in the journal or or Inside or through the Chronicle who, you know, who won the Hilton that year. And I remember when I first got to watch it in person, I believe Andy Cochran and Suddenly Extreme won it. And I remember just being in awe of the entire event and the prestige of it and the fact that the stands were full and everyone at the horse show was stopped, dropped everything, and we're there watching the Hilton Maiden. I would say you're right. I'm thinking back to, you know, when the Riker was such, at the time, was the biggest horse show on the planet, or as far as popularity goes. And, but still at that time when it was a huge deal, and I think she sponsored the three and over main class there, but still the money was really focused on two-year-olds and it has, I think, like transformed a little bit in our modern days now where we do put so much more of an emphasis on three and over maiden horses or older horses. And, you know, you're right. Like that she's probably the one that really caused that initiative and now it's grown. So that's cool. I mean, I really just hadn't put all the pieces together in my brain, but I just did while you were talking there. Yeah, I mean, for sure we can attest and thank Cecilia Hilton for the majority of the reason why, you know, the later on futurities are becoming so popular now and why they're even possible in the first place. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny you said that, you know, she sponsored a class, the maiden class in, at the right, which I believe you are correct in that. But one of the best quotes that I think I was ever told by Cecilia was when Cameron asked her to sponsor something when he was in college or high school or something. And it was just a state thing. And he asked for a couple hundred dollars for her to sponsor him. And she wrote the check and they were chatting and this and that. And he was like, you know, it's just kind of hard to find the money here in the horse industry. And she looked at him. She said, honey, I know for a fact that there will always be money in the horse industry because I've put it there. (laughs) And I'm like, if that's not iconic, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I really do it. That needs to be on like a black and white photo with her quote overlaid on top of it, you know, like that kind of a little bit of like context for people that didn't know Cecilia. I mean, she was a witty woman. And, you know, we're really, really, really proud to keep that memory alive. Yeah, that's really cool. Hmm. So I know we want to dive deep into what is going to be happening at the spring breakout in Virginia Maiden this year, but you've got a lot of personal stuff going on this year. So we want to highlight that first. Wow. And. (laughs) 
<laughs> one, let's see. You can pick which way we go with this. Like you're part of being a breeder and owning pretty assets at the mayor. That's crazy and very talented. And everybody knows that mayor. And I know you're trying to develop a whole breeding program versus being engaged now to a horse trainer. So whichever direction you want to go with that, we'll pick one. <laughs> well, let's let's go with the horses because that's an easier topic for me than engagement and weddings and whatnot. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. Like you said, I mean, I own pretty assets and first of all, how blessed am I? I mean, that was just, it's sheer just luck that, you know, no one ever knows something's great in, in the moment, you know. And turning out to be a pretty damn good producer too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's wild because you never expect that. I mean, you have the hope that they're going to be great producers or good, you know, at least to make some trainable horses or some cute ones here and there. You know, not everyone needs to be the one, but, you know, you hope to get a couple of little bit of a winners out of your crop here and there. But I would have never imagined, you know, that it's just boom, boom, you know, it's one after another, after another, and, you know, and different crosses too. And we've kind of experimented across the board with her. And she just knocks it out of the park. And I mean, I wish I could take any kind of credit or whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's not, it's not my embryos. It's not my stallion. And it's, you know, it's it's all her. And it's, you know, and it's also very much attributed to, you know, the guidance and the mentorship that I've garnered from Amy Gums over the years. I mean, at the end of the day, a great mare is a great mare and a great producer is a great producer. But a hand on the controls to ensure the success and that these babies get in the right hands and they're bred to the right stallions and they're promoted in the right way. I mean, that truly makes or breaks a catalog for a mare. I can't tell you the amount of mares that probably could be in the top 80 percentile of producers, but kind of get bred across the board or they end up in the wrong hands. And it's just not every horse is meant for every person. And, you know, so it's just, it's a lot of that kind of stuff too, that I have to give credit to that, where it's always like, you know, she'll step in and she'll go, well, maybe we can think about doing it this way, or maybe we should think about that and never tells me what to do, but just always just helps me out whenever I ask. And that I wholeheartedly do attribute that to another reason why Lacey's success as a broodmare has really exploded. Millennial Cowgirl is a marketing and media company where we offer on-site content creation for the equine industry. Everything from amateurs, professional trainers, facilities, and product supply companies. Come to us for any of your media, marketing, and content creation needs. Find us on our website at millennialcowgirl.com or on Facebook and Instagram. So what came first, your desire to develop a breeding program or pretty assets? Pretty assets. And is she the reason you wanted to have a breeding program or is it multifactorial? It's a little bit of everything. I had just gone left for college and I didn't want to go to college. It's the only big fight my mother and I have really ever had, like huge, huge in our life. And I wanted to be a horse trainer and she was like, over my dead body, you know, you're <laughs> going to college. And that's so I went to college mm -hmm. and she said, well, you know, you go to college, but you know, I'll buy a really nice amateur horse. We'll go find one. Mm -hmm. That's and a hell of a deal. <laughs> right. And I was like, I'm going to college. I'll where yeah. do you want me to go? And so she, you know, she sent Keith and Sydney Miller, who are horse trainers at the time, great friends of ours, and sent them off on the wild goose chase to find one. And it was just hard. I mean, I remember we tried and priced out, I could tell you a couple of 
right? And brand name horses. And it was just outrageous trying to find one that would work, that would do, that was actually for sale, that, you know, would actually go through. And it was just this and that and whatever. And then I remember Amy Broach posted on Facebook and she wanted to buy a stallion over in Europe. And she said, you know, I want to buy the stallion. So everything's for sale except pretty assets. And me being pushy and (laughs) not listening to directions whatsoever, screenshotted it, sent it to Keith and said, well, what's the harm in asking anyway? (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And so Keith asked and to our surprise, she said, you know, I think it was like a Friday night. And then she was like, well, she was like, if I can get a wire by noon on Sunday or something like that, you know, consider selling her. And so we bought a plane ticket, flew out at 5 a.m. the next day. And she was actually still in stall rest. She had gotten hurt. And so she hadn't gotten worked or anything. And we had to pull her out and we wrote her. And I think I looked around one lap and I said, I'll buy her. And I said, I love this thing. Keith did the same exact thing. He just felt her on her and he was like, I got to have this horse. And everyone in the country is texting me and telling me not to buy her because, oh, she's crazy. Oh, she's this. She's that. They hate her. You know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, she'd won the Congress a couple of times at that point. But, you know, everyone in their mother was like, don't buy the horse. Don't buy the horse. And then it was really only Keith and I that were like, oh, we love her. She's so beautiful. And so we bought the horse. <laughs> and the rest is really history. I mean, she, I can't even like put into words, you know what all happened following that. I mean, then it was just, it was wild. I mean, it was like the ride of a lifetime, really. Once in a lifetime thing. And anyway, so in our sale contract, we owed embryos to Amy Broche. And so we started pulling them. And then, you know, little by little, Amy Gums bought an embryo. So we ended up getting that one and that was enticed. And And the rest is history. You know, what's funny is I remember someone very clearly telling me not to bother breeding her, you know, because a lot of these great mares, they never turn out to be good producers. You know, for some reason, sometimes no matter how special they are, they're just flops and they can try and try and try. It's just they're not producers. And I remember someone telling me that they're like, I just have a feeling that that's just how she's going to be. Like, don't waste your money. You know, don't interrupt the show season, this and that. And I didn't listen. And thank God I didn't. How stupid would I have been had I listened to them? You know, that's a little unfair for mares. I feel like because even the best stallions in our history and legendary stallions still have offspring that are not great. But the difference is, is they can have a hundred plus a year if they're a big time stallion, where even a mare that can do embryo transfers, you're still mm-hmm. a handful at best at mm-hmm. a, on a great year. Right. So when you're saying that mare doesn't produce, it's like maybe it's just a law of numbers. Yeah. And I mean, the experimentation of it takes a lot longer than 30 seconds up on a, on a mount, you know? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, the mare game is tough. You know, people dedicate a lot of time to looking for something to fail or something wrong or whatever. And, you know, and then I was just, I'm just very lucky that Lacey is about as tenacious and stubborn as I am. And she's like, I'm just going to keep proving you wrong, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And then, okay. Yeah. So you have her obviously start to pull embryos, breed her. Then yeah. how did this whole idea of actually having a bigger breeding program come about? Well, realistically, you know, I, like I said, I mentioned Amy earlier, Amy Gums earlier. You know, I've known her since I was 12, I think 12 or 13. I was young. And she's always been just like kind of like a second mother to me. And obviously she has bred a handful in her lifetime, you know, just a couple here and there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, 
you know, just watching her and over the years and, and spending so much time around that operation really fed that fire in me that really fell in love with the whole process, the babies and folding out and, you know, the, oh, what is it going to be? Is it going to be red? Is it going to have any white on it? It's going to be a boy, a girl, you know, I don't care as long as it's healthy. <laughs> you start getting to that point in breeding as well. But, you know, I kind of just all started falling into place. You know, when I was still kind of hop, skipping and jumping around and didn't quite know what direction my life was going to be, Amy managed and did all the stuff for Lacey. So she was over at Amy's place in Kentucky for a couple of years. And I bred a couple while she was there and just slowly started getting, you know, more and more of a want for it and getting back into wanting to be hands-on. And I think my found love for the lunge line really kind of started facilitating that. You know, I, I fell in love with the whole process of babies and, you know, teaching them from everything, how to halter down to, you know, how to load and be a horse show horse. I was like, well, I'm going to start doing it with Lacey's babies. So bought the farm, brought her home and got a couple of other mares as well. You know, it's not a huge program, but I don't want a big program. I only have 15 acres here anyway. So it's not like I could really you know, be folding out 50 horses anyway. But yeah, I pretty much the gist of it. I just wanted to do what I love with the horse that I love. So we have the show management side. We know how that came about. We now know how the breeding side of your life came about and the Florida connection. Maybe you want to talk a little bit more about how that came about. Wow. You guys really want to talk about JD, huh? She's <laughs> <laughs> Give everybody um, their 15 minutes of fame here, including your fiance. Oh, he deserves far more than 15. I'll tell you that. He is wonderful, wonderful man. I've known him for years. We were friends for a long time. And when we were at the WEC show in 2021 and he had come back and he was almost a year into coming back into the horse industry after working commercial construction in Columbus and taking a couple years off. And he was working for Bakers at the time. And sort of just reconnected. And, you know, I remember looking at him one night at the bar and I said, yep, I think I'm going to date him because he's a good man. And can't really find that anymore, let alone, you know, in the horse world. So I <laughs> didn't really take no for an answer. He was not <laughs> interested. He wanted to be single for a while. It was not. And yeah, that didn't really go well for him. So here we are. And then <laughs> we got engaged January <laughs> last year. So yeah. And he finished out 2023 with Liz and Cole Baker. And the end of last year, he came home and he started his own business up again, Jason Koffel Show Horses. And he's training out of our place here. So it's all under one roof. And, you know, we're just having the time of our life kind of working together and being together all day long. It's actually like, you know, a dream come true. It's what more could a person want than, you know, do what they love with the horses that they love, with the person that they love. All in Florida, too. So I'm rooting. Oh, yeah. I know no. we're all like hating <laughs> you, but loving it for you right <laughs> now. I think if I lived in Michigan, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I hate my husband. Oh, you know, I would have a totally different outlook in life. But because we live in the sunshine, I'm like, oh, everything's yeah. wonderful. Sunshine <laughs> makes everything better. Seasonal depression ain't going to get me, girl. <laughs> right. Oh, that's one of us, at least. So is there anything that has changed your opinion on horse trainers since you are now engaged to one? <laughs> oh, yeah. I hate them. No, I'm just kidding. 
You know, it has a little bit, but if I'm being completely honest, my very best friends are horse trainers and I've lived with horse trainers and I've done billing for horse trainers over the years. And, you know, so I've seen that other side a whole lot more than the average amateur had even long before living and being engaged to one, especially when, you know, you're talking about doing billing in the books for someone and, you know, how much of a, of a real struggle it can be, you know, and I always say this, because I don't think a lot of people really think about it like this. I always say, you know, when you skip out on a bill or someone doesn't pay on time or whatever, I was like, it's not lost income on the horse trainer. I said, it's not that they're making an income. They're just getting reimbursed because it's mm-hmm. such a high overhead business. So I'm like, it's not money that they were counting on that they don't have. It's literally money out of their pocket that they don't get to, you know, replace. And I think that's something that a lot of people would be shocked to see how much of, you know, overhead, you know, a perfect example is, you know, JD has one here and training is 1400, but you know, it keeps destroying parts of the barn and it's cost about a little over two grand in just a month, you know? So at that point, you know, you've lost money on that horse on top of part of that is supposed to pay for, you know, the board and the care and the hay and the feed, which is already super expensive around this area. But, you know, just stuff like that, that a lot of people, I think, don't consider. And I know I didn't consider it for a very long time, you know, because all we see on this end is an email with a bill that's got a lot of zeros behind it. (laughs) We don't realize that a lot of those zeros were already fronted, you know, so it's not income. It's just reimbursement, (laughs) so to speak. But but kind of just circling back to JD, you know, we want to kind of keep it a smaller operation, you know, he doesn't want to have 20 going up and down the road. I sure don't want to do that. You know, I'm like, ah, I'm like, I can't, I'm not riding anything. So I'm not the horse trainer, but I'm sure as heck not going to pick at stalls. I it's 20 stalls at a horse show, but you know, he's specializing in the pleasure and the all around stuff and some huntsy. And he's got a couple of mine, you know, I have a two-year-old pleasure filly and a three-year-old huntseater for this year, which we're super excited about. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say about JD Koffel other than he's kind of like the best human being on the planet and the world would be a better place if more people were like him. I'll tell you that for sure. And there's probably not a soul on the planet that would say anything different about him. Uh-huh. That's cool. Well, congratulations to you guys. Do you guys have a wedding date? You don't need to tell us, but... Oh, God. No, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. If it were up to me, I would just go down at the... JOP or go elope in Vegas or something. I don't, mm-hmm. I want to just, you know, elope or just go down and sign a paper. Oh, no, no. But JD Koffel wants a wedding. My mom, <laughs> Melissa Hendricks, wants a wedding. Amy Gums wants a wedding. So we're all compromising and we're having a wedding. And I, did, <laughs> I told them, though, I said, I'm not paying for it. I'm not planning it. Tell me when and where to show up. But yeah, it's a running joke in our friend group that JD's a bridezilla. And I, <laughs> I don't want any part of it. Uh, you're well, speaking uh, coming from an old married hag now, I did most of the planning on our wedding. And if I could do it all over again, I would not do it. <laughs> not that I wouldn't get married, but I would do your version of it. Cause I'm like, it went by so fast. I barely got to enjoy it. I felt like it was gone in a blink of an eye. And I'm like, I don't see why it's worth a year planning and all the money to have the day, but I'm thankful I did it. You know, like I'm not 
crapping on that, but yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) or we could, you know, buy a tractor attachment and, Mm -hmm. you know, or take a nice vacation vacation for five days or something. I think that's what we're going to end up doing is if you're going to force me to do it, I said, I want to just have a vacation with everyone with the wedding kind of sprinkled in the middle. So that's probably what we're going to do somewhere destination. I think just kind of make it a getaway. I said, I don't care where I just want a beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got it. Right. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, let's dive into the horse show. Liz, do you want to take that one off on for us? Sure. So can you kind of give us your take on the, what's going to happen at the 2024 spring breakout event? And it's at the Virginia Horse Center. So I've never been there personally, but I've seen a lot of pictures. So maybe give our listeners a little bit of an overview of that venue as well. The Virginia Horse Center is located in the hills of Lexington, Virginia. And it is a stunning, stunning facility. And they have done so many updates over the years. You know, it's one of the largest coliseums in the country, which is great for us because it takes a whole lot of horses for us to have to split like a maiden class, which I know a lot of people aren't going to want to cruise around their maiden horse, you know, twice over, but we're really blessed in that aspect that we don't have a typical size arena. That Coliseum is gigantic. The barns, you know, they've all been updated. The stalls are wonderful. The facility staff is second to none. I work a lot of horses at a lot of places and The Virginia Horse Center staff is second to none. I mean, I call on the radio and I say jump, they say how high, and it's done within minutes. I'm not lying. I can call for a drag in any arena and 30 seconds later, I can hear a tractor, you know, speeding by. But other than that, I mean, we have grade A footing and all kinds, you know, so if your horse doesn't really quite like to lunge in some of the, you know, synthetic footing, we have the sand and we have the dirt arenas, we have all of which get groomed on the regular and they're fantastic. You know, we have probably some of the best dirt in the country and the options for that is, you know, a little secret weapon that very few people get to capitalize on. So we're really blessed in that aspect, you know, and it's located in this wonderful little historic college town. I believe it's either Naval or Air Force Academy, one or the other, but it is the cutest, quaintest, safest town ever. You know, I can't stand going to horse shows and not feeling safe. And so we're really, really, really blessed where you know, the little sleepy town of Lexington, Virginia has some of the best wine bars and cafes and local breweries ever, but it's also super safe and super fun for the entire family. Tons of indoors. So rain, not really a, you know, an issue for us, like a lot of facilities. Um, I, I believe there's seven indoors. Oh, wow. Covered total. Or maybe that is including the cupboard. I believe it. The main show classes are outdoors, right? That's in all the pictures I see. Yeah, if the weather's nice. Yeah, if the weather's nice, we like to stay outside. The futurity classes and a lot of the rail classes were held inside last year just because we're able to heat it. So if it's not super warm, you know, that entire building gets heated. And it's incredible. But yeah, you know, we have so many fun things going on this year. You know, we added three all-breed walk truck jackpots for the Hunt Seat Western Pleasure and Ranch. So that's another, you know, way to earn a check there. We have the Virginia Residence classes with wonderful awards, including a brand new CP saddle for the high point of that. And that's reserved just for Virginia residences. And then, you know, we'll have games throughout. 
Um, we're planning a cornhole tournament. We're planning a on horseback tournament, which is actually a really, really fun idea. You know, the basketball game horse. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. And oh, can- that makes so much. Okay. I get what you're saying now. Yeah. Yes. And awesome. I think it'll be, I think it'll be super fun. And we might cap out of that actually, because we usually do a couple of fundraisers for the crisis fund while we're there. And then we also have great prizes, like another saddle for the non-pro ranch derby. We'll have free clinics for showmanship, horsemanship, trail, ride the pattern classes. Um, those will be held on Tuesday. We have a Virginia resident high point. We'll also be awarded some jackpot monies. The limited winner of the Western Pleasure also gets a Bob saddle and another Bob saddle for the highest placing non-pro in the Maiden Ranch Rail class. We have over $7,500 added for our halter futurities, courtesy of the Equine Chronicle, which is brand new. And then another new thing that we're doing, which I really, really, really am so excited for, new in 2024, courtesy of Aaron Scott and Graham Boatwright, the Boatwright family, all EWD exhibitors will be able to show for absolutely free. So that means mm-hmm. all the office and entries are being sponsored totally. So uh-huh. EWD, whether it's supported, independent, whether you show in one class or 50, it's all paid for. I try and do stuff like that. And Suzanne tries to do stuff like that. And Cameron and Christian, all of us, because, you know, of course, so much spotlight gets put on the futurity side of the stuff, you know, and the money and the prestige of the event and the titles that are won and whatnot. But another thing that a lot of people don't particularly probably know or notice about our horse show is that we still, every year without fail, have people that have never shown a quarter horse show before or, you know, never even heard of NSBA. You know, this is their first breed show. This is their first association show. And I love that about this horse show, that we can have the top 1% come to try and, you know, garner the title of that year's Virginia Maiden Champion, but we also have people that are brand new and that are rookies. And we have, you know, EWD classes. And I think that's super important, you know, whether or not anyone shows up, you know, you never go to a horse show and the senior hunter saddle's not on the show bill. Why are they let off, you know, left off? Yeah. I mean, I believe we are either the number one or one of the highest paying weekend NSBA futurities. I know last year we paid out shy of 180,000, I think, over four days. Wow. And just nine classes. So, I mean, each, it, it averaged it was like 25 or 23,000 per class. And we have the lowest entry fees in comparison to our payouts. So, you know, on average, your entry fee is going to be like 10% of your added purse. Ours is a fraction of that. Ours is less than like 4%, I think. It's like, you know, it's $750. For a thirty thousand dollar purse, plus we jackpot seventy five percent of our entries, which is another thing that a lot of horse shows don't do that we do. I think that's awesome because we can like double each purse with just your entries, you know, and it's basically just giving you your money back plus the added money. And you know, it sucks that because that's also the reason why we've never taken a paycheck from this horse show. You know, Cameron and I have invested a lot of our own money, especially in those beginning years, getting established. You know, now it is self-sustaining, but we still don't take a paycheck from the horse show because we always put as much possible back in. Every single sponsorship goes to back into the purses. You know, the little bit that we retain is what pays for our surprise judges expenses and our hotel rooms and our office staff and whatnot. 
but it does not like, like I still pay my own way. Cameron still pays his own way. And it's truly a labor of love. And it's really a family, you know, between all of us. You know, I know Suzanne, her husband just passed a few days ago and, you know, we're going to pick up whatever slack she needs or, you know, and we've done that for everyone. I mean, I I was going through a lot of health issues last year and this year, and they've really kind of picked up where I've dropped the ball and vice versa. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about this horse show is that it's one of the few that are like still kind of really old school. It's not a mega, you know, show. It's, you know, still real simply run by regular people. You know, you don't get to talk to association board or whatever. You just talk to me or or Suzanne. (laughs) And we try and just make it as fun and lighthearted as possible because horse showing has just gotten too serious. It's just too much, you know. At the end of the day, if it's all about winning, then just one person walks away happy from that horse show. You know, when there's 500 people on the ground, you better make sure it's at least fun because I can't guarantee they had good rides. Is your fitness holding back your writing? Discover Ride Fit Life. We tailor fitness coaching for writers. Balance writing with life, shed fat, and bid farewell to feeling overwhelmed. With personalized nutrition and fitness plans, boost your physical strength and mindset to add joyful years to your writing career. Be proud of who you see on the saddle. Plus, join our Fitness and Fat Loss for Equestrians Facebook group for free resources. Ready to elevate your writing? Visit RideFitLife.com now. Your fitter, happier writing life is just a click away. How do you think you guys have done a good job with capturing and supporting the, I'm going to use this term and nobody get offended by it, but the elite of our industry, but also making those that are new beginners or the do-it-yourselfers those types feeling welcome and embraced at your horse show, because I really feel like that is the problem that exists in 90% of our events and the industry as a whole is trying to cater to both groups and making them both feel valued. So what have you guys done in that regard? Yeah. And I will say this, it's ultimately, you know, necessary that we have all groups to sustain a horse show because you're going to need that, you know, as you quoted it, top elite or however you want to say it, you need those people because they're the ones that are going to bring the sponsorships that fill purses and, you know, offset costs and make sure that we can afford to have a horse show because it's wildly expensive to do so nowadays. But we also need the numbers and we need the support and we need those, you know, that middle ground or the novices or the rookies or those first timers, you're going to need to garner an environment where they want to return because your elite may jump ship and go somewhere else the next year. And, you know, when they're only going to bring three horses because they're bringing one for the maiden, one to ride around and one for the limited horse, you know, so to speak, whereas those barns of beginners and novices and everything, they're the ones that are going to buy out 10 stalls, 15 stalls, 12 stalls, all that kind of stuff. The things that at the end of the day, when, and if we don't ever have, the support of those top one percenters, we can still sustain a horse show. And at the end of the day, it's not rocket science, realistically, to kind of make everyone happy. I mean, it's really just boils down to, you know, human capacity, psychology, and what people want. <laughs> Being a good human. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it boils down whatever people want, they just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. Whether they 
like your response or whether they agree with it or whether you're able to solve their problem or not, if you actually legitimize someone's feelings or emotions or their reaction and make them feel heard and try to help them, or if you can't at least give them a solid and logical response and explanation as to why you can't accomplish that, it's amazing how like people will respond so differently. You know, you can take someone that storms up to the office, you know, and they're all hot and bothered and mad and whatever, but the way you kind of conjure the relation you know, or the conversation and how you respond back to them really will rate their emotion towards what you say, so to speak. You know, so I mean, whether it's someone is overwhelmed because they don't understand the show bill because they've never been here before and they're getting frustrated because they don't understand the announcements. And, you know, you need to sit down and take five minutes and kind of chat with them or give them, you know, a cheat sheet or whatever. Or you have someone that's irritated because, you know, their stall door is broken on their $300,000 horses, you know, barn. But either way, I mean, people just want to be heard. And I don't care if you're the top 1% or if you've never even seen a horse before. It's that's a rule of thumb with really any, any industry and any kind of human communication position. I think you said it best and that our industry needs everyone. And so many people want to put it on like, you know, I go back to the tribalism thing, but, you know, like it's either either or and it's not either the top one percent people or the grassroots people. It's like it all needs to exist, coexist together. And I don't know why we have to pick one or the other. And I think we're shifted in a direction right now, but if we just come back to a little bit of the center, we would all be better off. But anyway, I don't want to derail our conversation about the show too much from there. So talk about the futurity part of it specifically. I know you kind of gave the background on the Virginia maiden part, but talk about that class and what its significance is. And then also maybe what other fraternity classes you guys are going to be offering. Yeah, for sure. You know, so obviously our showcase event throughout the years has always been the three and over made in Western pleasure. And that's just tradition, you know, and it's what we started out with. It's what originally was only held when it was the Hilton maiden, you know, and ultimately it's probably always going to hold strong as to either our largest or one of the largest futurity classes that we'll hold there. You know, on average, we'll have anywhere between 25 to 30 entries which is a lot for a maiden class, especially in March, you know, now that we're a month later, I mean, that might even explode a lot more. I mean, whether or not people just need that extra month or we've done that move to eliminate the variability of the weather at that time of year in the Appalachian mountains, you know, can kind of be one way or another, but either way, you know, I only see it growing and we've been one of the largest, we've been the largest a few years actually. And, you know, I think it really sets the tone. You know, I think it's other than, you know, March the Arch, it's one of the first spring futurities that really kind of showcase what everyone has that year. You know, in the March the Arch, you know, they have the limited horse class and stuff and whatnot, which is going to showcase a lot of horse that we haven't seen, especially in a show environment. But as far as like prepping and ultimately, you know, the goal is for your maiden classes, it's usually Virginia's the destination if they're ready early enough, which we're super proud to even be considered a destination place. And, you know, it's just crazy to see where we started and kind of how it's all exploded. And, you know, now we have the maiden hunter on her saddle, 
which again is, you know, three and over, same purse, all that kind of stuff. We have both limited horse classes for the pleasure and for the hunt seat. Um, so there are 2,500 or under earning horses that are three and over. And then we have non-pro maturity hunt seat, non-pro three-year-old hunt seat, non-pro maturity pleasure, non-pro three-year-old pleasure. We also are holding several ranch derbies throughout the weekend, including obviously our other showcase event, which is second annual Maiden Ranch Rail. And that year we have 15,000 added in it this year, which is actually a bit more than we had last year. Same entry fee still, even though the purse has gone up. So that's great for you guys. And, you know, and it's funny, we were the first ones to ever do that. NSBA literally had to create the class code last year because when we called to apply, we were like, we don't know how to apply for it. And they're like, because it doesn't exist, but we'll make it exist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. And then we have a 5,000 added ranch rail or non-pro ranch rail as well. I mean, we have kind of a bit of everything, you know, and then, like I said, we're catering a lot to our all arounders with all our jackpot classes and the free clinics and the ride, the patterns. And, you know, we kind of, we try and touch everyone, you know, to a degree, we try and give you, you know, enough open classes to make it worthwhile for those guys to want to load up one or two of their open horses as well as you go, well, you know, while we're at it, you know, they have some non-pro classes there too. You want to come? Sure. Let's load up that horse too. And we always make sure that the non-pros classes are after their respective maidens, because then that way the, you know, the three-year-olds or four-year-olds or what, however old your maiden horses, the non-pros have the option to show them afterwards if they'd like. You're blessing the horse trainers in that regard because I love it when they have to let the non-pro show before they get to show and they're like, why? The non-pros show after all the open classes. And I mean, everyone wants that. No non-pro wants to go in and, well, first of all, they can't show if it's a maiden class. And, you know, and how unfair would it be if I brought a three-year-old there and it was ready for me to show and I wanted to show in the maiden. And then I'm like, well, then I don't get to show it. You know, that would be kind of sucky. But, you know, it's just a little bit of a, you know, show bill, logistical nightmare, but we try and make it all work. Do you guys have a nomination process for like the maiden or is it just an entry fee or how does that work? Nope. We are simple, old school, just an entry fee. And <sighs> bless you guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, another thing that we do kind of differently than a lot of other shows, and I might be giving away all of our secrets, but you know what? If other people want to pick this up, I think it's great, is for our higher level sponsors. We have, um, depending on your level of sponsorship, we have an allotted number of futurity entries that late fees are actually waived. So you can enter the day before at the horse show if you want, and you don't have to worry about paying the extra money. Mm. Interesting. I mean, it's just, I think it's a really simple way to thank our sponsors, you know, and then whatever late fees we do get, those also get jackpotted into the purse. You know, a lot of people don't take that in consideration. But no, if it's, you know, if I ask you for an extra $200 or whatever the late fee is, that money's going back in the purse as well. So, hmm. well, I know that's not always customary or rarely customary. So kudos to you guys for doing that and putting all the money back into it. Yeah. We've always done it differently. I mean, we've never abided by, you know, the generated typical average pay scale, NSBA pay scale, however, you know, whichever ones you're using, we've never used that. I've always done a custom pay scale the night before when we have the final amount of entries and the amount of number, you know, the exact number of monies I have to play with in front of me. And then I'll spend an hour or two just kind of playing with it and 
doling out the money. You know, I start with 1500 to the last place force and that's double their entry fee. And then I start with 10,000 of the winner and I dole it out percentage wise, you know, from first to 10th and then whatever money's left over, I pad on top of everything, you know, and that's how like last year we ended up, I think Aaron ended up getting like 12, five, I think was his winning check. So, you know, we ended up having an extra $2,500 to give everybody. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a cool way of doing it. I don't think that, like I said, that's not customary, but good. No, and it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a pain in the ass and it's time consuming, but (laughs) (laughs) but I also think that our pay scale is one of the things that kept attracting people back to us when we weren't a destination futurity event, you know, just because it makes horse trainers feel a lot safer when a, the entry fee is half the price if not more than half the price than any other competitor out there. And, you know, say you're, you're showing a maiden horse. You don't know what the hell's going to happen. I don't care how prepared you are. You never know until you're in there. And that's a scary kind of gamble to, as a horse trainer, to go to your customer and say, Hey, can you spend a couple thousand dollars on this? Because I want to show in this class and then, you know, risk it not going well. And then you have to answer to that person and rightfully so. And it's just kind of, it's just a difficult position to be in. So I try and make it as simple as anything to kind of make people feel more at ease about it. You know, like say you go in there and, you know, I broke or whatever. You know what? If I'm ninth, I still make my lady money or my owner money. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm 10th, I mean, you know, my lady's still making a thousand dollars on top of that. You take out the entry fee, you split it in half, you know, you both walk away with five hundred dollars. You're not really upset about that. Obviously, you'd like to win, but it's not really putting you in jeopardy. Whereas, like, you know, in some cases, when you use a different pay scale or not a custom pay scale, you know, a really great horse might be sixth or seventh and they're out of the money. And right. seventh place, when there's 30 in there, I mean, you had to fight for that. And I think it's important that you recognize, I mean, if I could give everyone money, I would. And whenever I can, I do. I do that a lot for our, our like non-pro classes and limited horse classes. When the entry, you know, the amount of entries kind of call for that, I'll always try and give everyone a check. I mean, I'll never leave someone without something if, you know, say there's eight entries in the class and the way the pay scale run out is that only seventh gets paid. I'm like, mm, no, we'll find some. We'll move the round of money. We'll give her her entry fee back and a gift card or something like that. We'll, we'll do that all night long in the office when we're looking at the next day's futurity classes. And like I said, time consuming. Yes. In the ass. Yes. Worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. Dang. Well, you sold me. I want to come yeah. show there. <laughs> I'm not anywhere close to Virginia, but is there any future aspirations or projects for the show or maybe even you personally that you're got on your eyesight in the next year, two years, three years, five years? I'd be lying if I said I never wanted, I mean, I don't care about winning the world show. I mean, I know that the world shows, I know it's gotten really small in recent years and whatnot, but at the end of the day, it's the one thing I've never won personally. I've been second and that's always been on my radar. I don't know if I'll ever accomplish it, but that's always there. And then I've had two high sellers at NSBA. I had my second high seller just this past summer in August, by the time I was 26. And I had the high sell gelding in 2021. And I had the high sell mare this past year. And both years were also the high sell hunt seater. And 2021, I actually broke the record. And then of course, Amy Gums had to come in the next year and break my record and rude. <laughs> so rude. 
So I'm like, of course I smashed the record by like 30 grand or something stupid like that. And then she comes in like the next year. I'm like, really? You couldn't eat? And she was like, you know, we always still joke about it. But yeah, you know, and those have been such incredible, incredible blessings and experiences. But I'm not going to lie. I would very much like to have the high selling horse. Like I said, I've had the high sell gelding, high sell mare. I've had the high sell hunt seeders. I'd like to have ultimately the high sell horse, you know, overall. That's always a goal. I mean, that's a goal of any of any consigner, really. I don't know if you'll ever be there, mm-hmm. but it's all just kind of luck and what your horse ends up being that year and what everyone else's ends up being that year. But, you know, that would be pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. That wouldn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> You're certainly knocking on the door of that one easily. Trying. <laughs> All righty. Cool. Well, we really appreciate all your information about the show. Like I said, you sold me on it. I want to come show there. It would be a big trip from central Kansas, but hey, you know what? Sometimes it's worth it. Hey, you know what I think would be fun? I think it'd be a blast for you guys to like set up like a broadcasting booth and just like commentate the whole time. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We've talked about that. So yeah, we just need somebody to like whip us in the ass. <laughs> get us to do it. But yes, you're right. We're charging some membership fees and we'll just start paying. We'll just start getting it rolling down the road and it'll be on the rail on the road. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. You're so brilliant. I'm a marketing <laughs> genius. What can I, say? I know we might be talking to you soon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't always get it right, but every once in a while, we've been a freaking bear shit from the wood on the right spot. <laughs> Absolutely. All righty. Well, we'll let you get back to checking mares and whatnot today. Thank you oh, so thank much for you. your time. We thank really you. appreciate all your yes, insights. Thank you. I appreciate Thank you guys so much for giving me the opportunity and the platform to kind of talk about everyone and our team and, and our horse show. And of course my okay fiance. So oh, I appreciate the time and, <laughs> hopefully and he doesn't listen to this then. <laughs> he probably <won't. laughs> yeah, Right. right. Oh, All right. Man, he doesn't even know how to download a podcast. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's not even a man thing. That's horse trainers. We love you guys, but you're not the most technologically savvy individuals out there. So this is news to me. I'm shocked. Really? right exactly (laughs) oh gosh no but hey thank you guys so much thank you take care all right that'll be your class bring them in and line them up